continually. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Boldness and confidence to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Let me make this declaration. All that you are is because of the blood of Jesus. All that you have is because of the blood of Jesus. Where you are in the spirit is because of the blood of Jesus. Do you know that do you know where you are seated? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 6 says that God made us alive together with Christ and he raised us up together with him and made us to sit together with him at his right hand in heavenly places. We are seated and we have ascended into the place at the Father's right hand. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 21 describes that place. And it says this place that we are seated, that you and I are seated as believers, is far above. Say far above. Far above all principalities, powers, might, dominion. Far above every name. Now, any sickness is a name. Any challenge is a name. Any set of circumstances has a name. Well, we are far above devils, above the devil, above demons, above principalities, above powers, above might, above dominion, about, above all. We are far above all. Which is to say they're all underneath your feet. They're under you. Whenever you're dealing with the enemy... In a, in a pictorial sense, you should always be looking down and pointing down because he's always below you. He's under you. You and I are seated at the Father's right hand in Christ, in the very throne of God. And it is in this place and from this place that we are to function, that you and I are to function. You are above circumstances, far above circumstances. We are in heavenly places, the word of God, and that's the third heaven. There is the third heaven, the second heaven, and then there is the first heaven. The devil was cast out of the third heaven, amen? He's in the second heaven. But in the third heaven, that's where we belong. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says that you and I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ. And in that place, according to 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, God has given unto you and I all things that pertain unto life and godliness. In that place, everything is finished. Psalms 119 verse 8 and 9 says, The word of God is forever settled in heaven. In that place, <clears throat> Hebrews 4 verse 3 says, The works of God were finished from the foundations of the world. All right? Now, we are here. This is where we are in this place. And we are here because of the blood of Christ, because of the shed blood of Christ. It is the blood of Christ the, by the Spirit of God that has put us in that place. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, you and I are kings. We are kings and priests, kings. 
king's rule. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6 says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and made us kings and priests unto God our Father. To him be glory and dominion forever. He has made us kings and priests unto our Father. Jesus is the king of kings, but you are a king. Jesus is the Lord of lords, but you are Lord. Galatians 4 verse 1 says, even the, 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 the person that is just born again, that is a brand new believer, he is an heir of God. And even though he's a child, he is Lord of all. So you are a Lord. You are a king. It says in Ecclesiastes 8 and verse 4, that the word... There is power. The word of the king, there is power in the word of a king. Where the word of the king is, there is power. Now, if you and I are kings, then we ought to think like kings. God wants us to think like a king. God wants you to talk like a king. Romans chapter 5, God wants you to have the mindset of a king. Kings have dominion. Romans chapter 5, verse 17 says, To one man's offense, death reigned by one, but much more. They which receive abundance of grace and they which receive the gift of righteousness shall reign in this life as kings through the one Jesus Christ by virtue of his sacrifice and what he has done. You and I are kings and we are to think that way. We are to be that way. We are to talk that way. And it is the blood of Jesus that has made us kings. It is the blood of Jesus that has made us all that we are, God's workmanship. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So who you are, what you have, where you live, it's all because of the blood of Christ. Say the blood of Christ. Now faith is, as we were saying before, faith is confidence in the sacrifice. Faith is confidence in God and in his word. Faith is confidence in that God will do what he says. Faith is confidence in what is settled. Faith is also, because faith is confidence in the sacrifice, and the blood is the embodiment of the entire sacrifice, faith is confidence in the blood. Say confidence in the blood. Now, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it says that the blood of Christ has purged your conscience. The blood of Christ has purged your conscience from dead works and has made you, made you alive to serve the living God. The, the blood has done that. By the Spirit of God, the blood has done that. What, 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 what does that mean? What does that mean? What does that look like? That the blood has purged your conscience and made you alive to God. The blood empowers your consciousness. It empowers your conscience so that you can think as the new creation. You can think as who you really are. You can think as God thinks. You can think, you can think according to the mind of Christ. Let me put it this way. The blood of Christ has so, so cleanses you, so purges you 
from every sense of failure, defeat, inferiority, shame, guilt, insecurity. It has cleansed you from every accusing voice from your history or from your past. It actually silences the accusation of the enemy and people as well. And the blood brings you into this place. It brings you into this living reality. This living reality that you are one with God Almighty. That you are one with God who is your father. You know, this is so real. This is why Paul says, you know what? I exercise myself. I discipline myself to maintain a conscience that is void of offense. To maintain a conscience that is void of offense before God and before men. Paul says, I keep myself in this place. I keep myself in this conscious awareness. With God, all things are possible. The blood puts us with God. The blood puts us in Christ. The blood God puts us in this place of absolute, total, complete, perpetual victory. So what I'm endeavoring to do here today is this, is to continue, is to bring this revelation of the blood of Christ in a manner and believe God for it to penetrate your thinking, penetrate your conscience. So that all you could think that you, all you could think is confidence, that you can't think any other way. You can't think failure. You can't think defeat. There is no other way for you to think. That is the effect and the reality of, of, of the power of, that the blood needs to have in our thinking. So that no matter what you're dealing with, no matter what is going on, you are always, this is always your mindset. I am more than a conqueror. If God is for me, who can be against me? No weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises up against me in judgment, I condemn it. Because this is my heritage. The, righteous, I am the, the righteousness of God is mine. This is my heritage. This is, the, this is the right of the servants and the sons of God. Hallelujah. All things are for my sake. So that no matter what happens... If it's not good, it's only going to cause more grace. And I'm just going to abound in thanksgiving and God will be honored. God will be glorified. This is the mindset that we are to have. Why? Because of the power and the authority of the truth of the blood of the Lord Jesus that has been shed. Now let me, let me do a quick review and, and, and summary of what we shared last week. I really do suggest that you go back and listen to last week's message. In Ezekiel 28 and verse 15, it talks about Satan. Satan, before, before he fell, who was Lucifer, but that he was created and he was a magnificent being, so to speak. He was perfect. He was blameless in all of his ways. But then iniquity was found in him. Iniquity, that sin nature was found in him. And as a result, and he decided he wanted to be like God and he wanted to exalt himself above God. But because that iniquity was found in him, he was kicked out of heaven. Jesus says, I beheld Satan like lightning falling to the ground. But now when Adam was created and Adam disobeyed God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what he actually did is that he ingested 
that nature of the devil. He ingested that sin nature. And that sin nature that came into Adam, through Adam, Romans 5 verse 12 says, through his sin, and that sin nature has come upon every single human being. Every single human being has ingested that sin nature, so, so to speak. Now what it meant is that because of this sin nature that separates man from God, that separated Adam from God, here God had lost his man. God had lost this new creation that he had designed. And it was his plan that this new creation was going to have fellowship with him, was going to be able to walk with him, was going to be intimate with him. This creation was going to reign with him. This creation was going to be the very sons of God that would give definition, that would bring purpose, that would bring purpose and to, to, to all of his creation. So that they don't have to live with a with an aimless, purposeless vanity. That was his plan. And God had lost that because of the fall. Hallelujah. But God had a plan. Jesus was slain from before the foundation of the world. You see, because Adam, here's the thing, because Adam did not originate sin, that sin nature was originated where? In the devil. It was not originated in Adam. And because he didn't orig originate sin, but it was, it was, it was it, um, because of that, it was possible for God to be able to remove it from him. God was able to remove that sin from him, that sin nature from him. But it was going to require death. Why? Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. So death was going to be necessary. But now it also says in Leviticus 17 verse 11 that the life of the flesh is in the blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. So for that reason, the blood side, the blood was symbolic. Um, you know, when, the, when they killed the animals in the Old Testament and the blood was poured out, it represented that life. It represented that death that would have taken place because of sin. Now, the blood of the bulls and goats and so on that was shed in the Old Testament, that blood could not remove sin. It could not remit sin, but it covered sin. That's why it was called atonement. It covered sin so that it was, it was like a promissory note until Jesus would show up and shed the pure blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So, um, what happened is, looking forward to Jesus, that Jesus is the one that had to come. The blood of the bulls and goats was not going to solve the problem. It would only postpone it. It would only cover it. It would only um, atone for it. But then the word of God says in, in John chapter 1 and verse 14 that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. What does that mean? It meant then that, 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 um, that God, through the person of Jesus Christ, took upon himself flesh. The word, the word was God. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. That word, that word took upon itself flesh, took upon itself humanity. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, for as much as the children were partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, likewise partook of the same. Why? That he, that he through death might destroy or paralyze him that had the power of death, which is the de devil, and also deliver those who were under the fear of death, in bondage all the days of their life. What's that saying? Jesus became a man 
for the very reason that by having a body, that body was so that the blood could be in it and could be poured out of it. And when he did that, what happened? The devil had had this ability, who had the power of death over mankind, the power to keep man separated from God, that power was taken away from him. It's going to say in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus says, Behold, I am he that liveth and was dead, but now I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and of death. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So a body, Jesus said, it said in Hebrews 10, verse 4, a body you have prepared for me. Why? So that in that body could be placed the pure, perfect blood of God. Amen? That blood, it was the blood that was in Christ. You see, Jesus was not made from a seed of Joseph and, and, and the egg from Mary. No, he was made from the egg of Mary, but the seed came from God. Are you with me? That was not the same kind of blood that you and I have, praise God. Amen? It was pure, it was perfect. But all of that blood that was shed in the Old Testament, all of that blood of the bulls and the goats and the animals that were shed, what was that about? Yes, it could not take away sins. It was an atonement for sin. It was only covering it, but the problem was still there. It was like an IOU. It was like a, it was like a promissory note. You know how sometimes you have debt, but you don't pay it off? Amen? The blood of Jesus is going to pay it off. It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 25, how God in his forbearance, he had passed over the sins that were previously committed. In other words, God overlooked it. Whenever, the, because of the blood of bulls and goats, God could overlook it and say, all right, I, I, I'm not going to hold this. I'll cover it for a period of time. Amen. And this went on and on until Jesus came and went to the cross. Amen. So, but as we look in the Old Testament, this, the, the power and authority of the blood, we see a pattern. We see that, we, see, we, we saw last week as we, we studied it, we saw how that in Galatians 3, verse 21, God himself was the first one to shed blood. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, and they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, God went and the God slayed an animal, and God took the coats off of that animal, the skin and covered Adam and covered Eve with it. How many animals we don't know. It indicates that the coats were pretty long, but when those when they, when they were covered with those coats, you're gonna see the blood on the inside of the skin of the animal being all over Adam, because why? Death was necessary in order to uh, to, to to make some kind of atonement for sin. We see again in in Genesis chapter four when when Abel brought an offering to God. And he brought an Abel, who was a keeper of sheep and so on. He brought an animal sacrifice to God. But his brother, um, yeah, his brother Cain brought a sacrifice, but was from vegetables or something like that. And the, the word of God says that God accepted Abel's often offering, but he rejected Cain's offering. What was this issue about accepting one and rejecting the other? He accepted Abel's offering because Abel, Abel's offering was a blood sacrifice, was a blood offering. What is the point? God took pleasure in the blood. Why did God take pleasure in the blood? Because whenever the blood was shed and was offered up as a sacrifice, as an offering, God was seeing the end. God was seeing that this is going to eventually lead to the fact that his son, Jesus, will be, would shed his blood and he was going to be able to redeem mankind. 
So every time that blood shed, even though the, the, it, it indicated that it was still a problem, that the, the, those that are approaching him were not, were not made perfect, even though that was the case, and the worshipers still had this in nature in them, nevertheless, there was that hope that it was speaking to God that eventually when Jesus comes, this is going to be fixed. Amen? So God took pleasure in that blood. In, in Genesis chapter 8, after the flood, Noah and his sons offered up a, a blood sacrifice to God. And the Bible st- it says in Genesis 8 and verse 22 that when God smelled a sweet savor, in other words, the smell of that, the fragrance of that blood was sweet in the nostrils of God. And God was so pleased with that offering that God spoke and God, the curse that God had put on the earth in, in the sense of um, so that man was going to, so that the ground will produce thorns and, 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 and it, wouldn't, it wouldn't yield its, the harvest that it should. God reversed that and, and literally went back to when he had said to Adam, be fruitful, multiply, uh, and replenish the earth. And God spoke the same thing to Noah and his sons and removed that curse. Why? Because of how pleased he was with, the, with that blood sacrifice. Throughout the Old Testament, we, we see how the, we saw how Abraham cut covenant with God in Genesis chapter 15. We saw how that when, when, the, when, the, when the ordinance was brought in for the sins of the people and, and, the, and the tabernacle and all those things were set up when Moses received the commandments and there were blood sacrifices that were made for the sins of the people. We saw how situa- we, there were situations where, like coming out of Egypt, where every household had to, or had to um, slay a lamb, one lamb for a household. There were perhaps... Let's say there was 500,000 households. Let's say there were two. Let's say there was five gallons of blood in every animal. That's five gallons of blood by five, by what did I say? By 500,000, 525. That's 2.5. Did I do that right? But that's about 2.5 million gallons of blood. That's a lot of blood. We see how in the New Testament there were times where, where the priests would offer up um, a tree. 3,000, 30,000 um, sheep and goat in a day. Can you imagine how much blood there was flowing in the street? But you see, but God took pleasure in that blood. Amen? Now, it's kind of hard for our mind to phantom God taking pleasure in blood because we've got such a yucky thing within our thinking. But that's not the mind of God. God wasn't seeing that. God wasn't smelling what you and I smell when, when, when blood decays. No. God, for him, it was a sweet-smelling savor, and it pleased God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. To Hebrews chapter 10. Let's, uh, Hebrews chapter 10. I think we're already there. Hebrews chapter 10. But all of this shedding of the blood, what was it doing? It was pointing to Jesus. It was pointing to the Lamb of God. Gee, God as God had said to Abraham, God, as Abraham had said about God, that God will provide for himself a lamb. The same way he provided the first blood sacrifice to cover, to cover Adam, God was going to provide that blood sacrifice, the perfect blood sacrifice in his son to cover all of humanity. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 1, reading from verse 1, it says, just to figure why did Jesus have to come? The law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never, with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. God wanted those to pro- that approach him to be made perfect. The blood of the bulls and goats couldn't do that, but it was a promise. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshippers once purged would have no more consciousness of sin. 
You see, when you have been purged by the blood of Jesus and you've, and you've accepted Jesus as Savior and Lord and that blood has been applied to your life, you are not to live in a place where you have any conscious awareness of separation from God, but you ought to live in a place where it is your continual conscience, that consciousness that he is in me. He never leaves me. He never forsakes me. Greater is he that is in me. I am the righteousness of God 24 hours a day. I am right with God even as God is right with himself. So that the worshippers once purged will have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of there is a reminder of the sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when Jesus came into the world, listen to what he said. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. But a body, a body you have prepared for me. A body you've prepared for me. Why? That body was needed as the container for the blood, so to speak. In burnt offerings and sacrifices of sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I am come in the volume of the book. It is written of me. I've come to do your will. So the very purpose of Jesus' humanity, and when we talk about Jesus' humanity, we're talking about the Son of Man. Say the Son of Man. There is the Son of Man and there is the Son of God. Hold that thought for a moment because it's going to become very relevant. The Son of Man and the Son of God. Say that. You remember how in, in, um, uh, we, we sing this and we say this at Christmas. In Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6, it says, Unto us a child is born, but unto us a son is given. And the government was going to be on his shoulder. A child is born. That child is born is speaking about the son of man. But a son is given is speaking about the son of God. Amen? So anyway, the purpose of Jesus' humanity was that he would become sin. He would be made sin. The purpose of him having a body was to contain and later on pour out his blood. Jesus came to be the perfect sacrifice that would put an end, that would put an end to the devil's rule over the human race. It says in 1 John 3, 8, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil, that he might put an end to the devil's rule over the human race and restore, not only that, but to restore all things to God's original intent and, proper, and purpose. Colossians 1, 20 says that by the blood of his cross, he has made peace and has reconciled everything unto himself. He has reconciled everything. The price has been paid for all of creation. So it's only a matter of time when the sons of God are made manifested that the, even the rest of creation will come into the liberty of the sons of God because the price has already been paid. Not only for humanity, not only to put the, the, the end to the rule of the sin nature over the human race, but also to put an end to the rule of the enemy completely and restore everything back to God. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, let's look at this whole redemption process. We've talked a little bit about the blood and Jesus being the body, uh, uh, why his body, why he had to have a body and so on. But the redemption process. Um, you see, the word redemption means to buy back. 
First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 and 19 says that you and I have been redeemed, not with silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Christ. We have been bought back from being underneath that sin, nature, devilish rule, kingdom of darkness, control. We've been bought back out of that by the blood of Christ, and we are now translated into the kingdom of God, and we now have received this nature when we get born again. This redemption process began in Luke. Let's turn to Luke chapter 22. The redemption process actually began when Jesus sweat, as it were, drops of blood. The moment Jesus' blood, the moment the pure blood of God was shed on this earth, that moment redemption began. There is no way that the blood, I mean, if the blood of bulls and goats, it says, as touching the, the, the oh, let me see, hold on a second here. You can turn to Luke chapter 22, but another scripture comes to mind. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 13 says, If the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean can sanctify for the purifying of the flesh, even if the blood of bulls and goats had such a voice, even when the blood of Abel had such a voice that it cried out against Cain, how much more will the blood of Jesus, the blood of God that is pure and holy, how much more will that blood cry out and have a voice? How can that blood be shed in this earth and something redemptive doesn't take place? Think about it. So in Luke chapter 22 is where this process of redemption began. Let's pick it up in verse 39. Coming out, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives as he was accustomed, and his disciples also followed him. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he was withdrawn from, about, from them about a stone throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, and listen to how he prayed. He says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And then an angel appeared to him from heaven and strengthened him and being in agony, being in agony of mind, being in such, in such agony, he, he prayed more earnestly than his sweat became like great drops of blood, great drops of blood falling to the ground. Okay, verse 42. For Jesus is praying, Father, if it be possible, Take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. What's happening here? What is this apparent contradiction, confusion? What is this divided mindedness? What's going on here? What's going on here is the Son of Man. The Son of Man recognizing what is about to happen. The Son of Man having made the decision that I'm going to have to drink this cup. The Son of Man is crying out and he is saying, if it be possible, take this cup from me. He is saying, um, if it be possible, take this cup from me. That's the son of man that is saying that. But then the son of God is the one that's saying, thy will be done. Are you with me? So this is what's happening. And that this, this duplicity that you're seeing, so to speak, is what they call in theology the hypostatic union, which is the, the man Christ Jesus, the Son of Man and the Son of God living in that one person. Amen? The Son of Man and the Son of God, a hypostatic union. 
And then it so says, and Jesus sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. Now, at that very point, what happened when those drops of blood were being shed? That very moment is when the redemption process began. And God, you can see God in heaven, God the Father, taking great pleasure, took pleasure in what has, was happening because he knew, here we go, it's going to happen, it's happening, it's happening. He took pleasure even in those first drops of blood that was being shed. Turn with me to John chapter 10. Hallelujah. John chapter 10, reading from verse 15. Jesus speaking. Jesus says, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I, me, me, Jesus, I lay down my life for the sheep. And then he goes on in verse 17. Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. And then he goes on. No one. Say no one. No one. Who is no one? No one takes, takes my life from me. But I lay down of myself. I have power to lay down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment I have received from my Father. I read that. I read that slowly on purpose. Jesus was saying, no man can kill me. That's what Jesus was saying. He says, no man can kill me. He was saying, no man can. And don't forget, the life of the flesh is in the blood, right? So Jesus was saying, no man can take my blood out of me. No man can take his blood out of him. You need to understand that. So what does it mean? He chose to lay down. He chose to lay down his life. That is why it will say in Isaiah 53, which we're going to look at in a little while, that he was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter, that opened not his mouth. In another place it says, he could have, he could have called 10,000 angels. In other words, he says, look, there is no way if I don't want them to arrest me, if I don't want them to take me off and haul me off, they can't do it. If I don't want them to put me in that cross, they can't do it. In other words, it was him that was submitting, that was yielding to this process. It was not, so the devil did not know, he did not know, what was going on? He didn't understand it. If he understood it, then the word of God, then it says in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8, he would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Think about it. What was the devil trying to do? The devil was inciting all these soldiers and all these people saying, crucify him, etc., etc., etc. And in actual fact, they could not kill Jesus. How are you going to kill God? They couldn't kill the Son of God. They couldn't kill him. But he laid down his life. And, and the, the thing is, you see, the devil was, was set up because, number one, he become responsible in some ways for, for, for an innocent man dying. And on top of that, he became, and on top of that, his crucifying Christ is what's going to cause that blood to be shed. And that blood is going to redeem all of mankind and take away the power from the enemy. Let's continue. So, the blood that was being shed, his blood, when his blood was shed, 
by their stripes, by their whipping, by their punching in his face, by the tongue of thorns in his head, by the spear in his side, by the nails in his hands, by the nails in his feet. In every one of those instances, what was happening? It was that process of redemption that was taking place. It was that process that was taking place. Amen? The devil thought he had finally gotten him? No, that was not the case. You see, when we look at it, we think that, well, this is what man was doing to Jesus. But it's not what man was doing to Jesus. It's not what his soldiers were doing to him. It is what God was doing with him. God was offering him up as that sacrifice. So it says, not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood he entered. By his own blood. Let's turn to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 for a moment. It was that perfect, eternal redemption that was taking place. Isaiah 53. Not by the blood of bulls and goats, but by his own blood, he entered into the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Let's look at Isaiah 53, reading from verse 1. Let me see where I am here. Okay, praise the Lord. Glory to God. Okay, reading from verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or com comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and he's rejected by men. A man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. But surely he has borne our griefs. Surely he has borne our sicknesses. Surely he has carried our sorrows. He has carried our diseases. He has carried our pains. He has taken the punishment. But yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But in actual fact, he was being wounded for our transgressions. He was being bruised for our iniquity. The chastisement. For our peace was upon him. Whatever punishment was necessary for him to purchase peace for us, that is what he was dealing with. And by his stripes, ye are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, having had that spirit of, uh, uh, of the enemy, having had that sin nature. All of us had gone astray. We had all turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord had laid on him that iniquity, that sin nature of us all upon him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is silent and he opened not his mouth. He was taken from, from prison and from judgment and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And, and he made his grave. He made his grave with the wicked. Old King James said, but with the, and with the rich at his death. There's really two deaths. There's going to be the physical death, which is his spirit and soul separating from his body. But there's also going to be this, the, the, the spiritual death because he's going to partake of, the, of, of, of the, that sin nature. Anyway. 
because he had, he had no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. What does that mean, it pleased the Lord? It means God got pleasure out of it. It pleased the Lord to bruise him and put him to grief. In other words, then, in, you know, sometimes we have this image in our mind that when Jesus was being beaten, when he was being bruised, when he was being whipped, when he was, when he was hanging on that cross, and when all of this punishment and, and, and stuff was happening, that the father was like, ooh. No, the father, it pleased the father. In the sense that because, you see, this was what was necessary. And it pleased the father. And when you make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. And the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor, the travail, the agony of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many. For he shall bear their iniquity. He shall take all of their sin nature. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great. You are the great. And he shall divide his spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and he made intercession for the transgressors. Hallelujah. So this year it pleased the Father. God was not in pain to see the beating and the punishment. The blood that was being shed was was for the fact that a new generation was going to be liberated from the sin nature and a new generation will come into existence. A new species of being that we call the new creation where all things pass away, all things become new, and all things are of God. So on the cross, Jesus became sin. He became sin, that you and I might be made the righteousness of God in Christ. That we would be made the righteousness of God in Christ. That we would be made the, uh, right with God as God is right with himself in Christ. John chapter 3 verse 14, Jesus said, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Just as the serpent. What do you mean? Because he was taking on the very nature of the serpent, the very nature of the enemy. John 12 verse 32 puts it this way. He says, if I be lifted up from the earth, that's on the cross, I will draw all men unto me. It wasn't that he will draw, he will... If you go read it properly, I will draw all the judgment that was going to come against every man, every human being because of his sins and the penalty of his sins. He says, when I'm lifted up on that cross, I will draw that judgment and all of that punishment onto myself. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise the Lord. So God took the very sin nature that came from Satan that Adam digested and that went on into all of mankind, God took that sin nature and placed it in Jesus. Why? So as to put an end to it. Every sin nature from every human being, including Hitler, including Mussolini, including every human being from all time was imported into the very soul of Jesus. 
And hence Isaiah 53 verse 11 says, God will see the travail or the labor or the agony of his soul and be what? Satisfied. Every dominating power of Satan on all of humanity was imported into Jesus' soul. His soul, listen, became ruled by Satan's rule. And it satisfied God. Mark chapter 10, 15, verse 34, Jesus cried out on the, when he was on the cross, My God, my God, why had you forsaken me? What was he talking about? It was not the Son of God that had died. The Son of God cannot die. You can't kill God. But it was the Son of, it was the son of Man. It was the Son of Man that died. And so the Son of God, when he became sin, the Son of God is what separated. The Son of God and God the Father separated from him. So he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it says in, in um, Mark 15, 37, that when Jesus gave up the ghost, when he cried with a loud voice and he gave up the spirit, he gave up the ghost. Luke 23, 26 says, um, he, he, he said, into your hands I commend my spirit. Now, can you imagine here is this man beaten up and he's crying out with a loud voice. He gave up his, uh, when they came to break his legs, they found that he had already died. Why? Because he said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. No man take my life from me. I lay down. And his soul, what happened? His spirit and soul separated from his body. And where did it go? It went straight to hell. And his body was left in the tomb. His body was left in the tomb. Peter, when he preached in Acts chapter 2 after the day of Pentecost, said, he was quoting um, Psalm 16, and this is what he said, that David had prophesied that you will not leave my soul in hell, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. What was that talking about? He said, you will not leave my spirit and my soul in hell, nor are you going to allow this physical body to corrode and to become corrupt and to, what is, what is that word, purify or whatever. It's not, he said that will not happen. His body did not see corruption. Not only, be, you say, well, the body was there for three, it was, it was three days. If it was there for 50 days, it would not have seen corruption. Why? Because it did not come from the regular embryo and seed, but rather it came from, it, from the egg from Mary, and it came from the life of God. And his body did not corrupt in the tomb. It was a different kind of body. He was made like, in the sin, like sinful flesh, but it was not sinful flesh. It was a different kind of blood that was in that man, Jesus. It was pure. So Jesus, when he went to hell, he, and, and, and he went to hell, and when the price was fully paid in hell, when the wrath of God was satisfied, what happened? He was born again. Jesus was born again. He needed to be born again. He became sin nature. And in the very pits of hell, Jesus was born again. Colossians 1 verse 18 says, He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Not the first begotten, not the first begotten son of God. 
that God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. No, 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 not the only. This is the, he's the firstborn from the dead. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Flip over there if you can. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. Let me just read it. It says, without controversy, great, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh and justified in the spirit. Which means what? God, the word was made flesh. God took upon himself flesh. That's a mystery. But on top of that, he was justified in the spirit. What do you mean justified in the spirit? He was justified, declared righteous, made righteous because he had become unrighteous with the sin nature. Amen? In, in, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, it says, Christ also suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, that he might put to death, he was put to death in the flesh, but he was made alive by the Spirit of God. Where? In the very pits of hell. Why was he justified? He had to be born again to become righteous. The Holy Spirit justified Jesus in hell and raised him from the dead. And when he raised him from the dead, he was the first begotten. He was the first of the new creation that was coming into the earth. It says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. It says that I'm talking about, it says, for those whom he foreknew, that's us. He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many what? Brethren, brothers. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. Say brethren. So he was, Jesus was made righteous. He was born again, and he was raised up from the dead. This was a man. It was a man, Christ Jesus, that defeated Satan. And he did it in our place. It was a man, not an angel, not an archangel, not God, but the son of man. It was a man that defeated Satan. It was a born again man that ripped the gates of hell wide open. Let me read this here for um, Colossians 2 verse 14 and 15. But let me read it from the um, Philip's translation. It says Christ has utterly wiped out. The damning evidence of the broken laws and commandments which always hung over our heads. And he has completely annulled it by nailing it over his head on the cross. Now here's this verse. And then having drawn the sting of all the power that was arranged against us, he exposed them, shattered them, empty and defeated it in his finest Glorious, triumphant act. King James says he spoiled principalities and powers, disarmed them, and made a show of them openly. When Jesus was raised up from the dead, it says in Revelation 1 verse 18, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of hell and death. Then what happened? Jesus was raised up, and Jesus went to this tomb and he picked up his body he picked up his body and then on the way you remember when Mary saw him in the garden and Mary was going to touch him and Jesus said to Mary don't touch me in John 20 verse 17 he says touch me not 
for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go and tell my brethren. He didn't say go tell my disciples. He says go tell my brethren. They're brethren now. <laughs> and say to them, I ascend to my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. And he said don't touch me. Now I don't know exactly why. But is it because he was going to go take his blood to the throne room of God as a high priest? And if Mary had touched him, it would have somehow made him unclean? I'm not sure. But he did say to Mary, don't touch me. Later on, when he, after he took his blood and he came back, he, 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 there was doubt in Thomas. And he said, Thomas, go ahead. Put your hand in my side. Put your hand in my fingers. Go ahead. You can touch me. Why? Because what happened? The, the word of God says, Hebrews chapter 9. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 9. I can see the landing strip. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 9. He had not yet, he ascended to the Father. So what? So as to obtain our justification. He took the blood into the throne room of God, to the mercy seat, and sealed our redemption. Revelation chapter, Hebrews chapter 9, reading from verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come, with a, with, a great, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. Aaron and the Old Testament priests and high priests, they entered, but they took the blood of bulls and goats, but no, he entered in with his own blood. He entered the most holy place. Once for all. And that's where we now seated. Having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, how much more shall that blood of Christ cleanse, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more shall that blood deliver us from every sense of defeat or failure or compromise or insecurity or inferiority or, or, or guilt? How much more shall that blood make us alive to our Father, bring us in oneness with him, bring us into the righteousness of God so that we are right with God as God is right with himself? How much more shall that blood justify us and bring us into such freedom? And for this reason, he is the mediator of this new covenant. By means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. For where there is a testament, where there is a covenant, where there is a will, there must also of necessity be the debt of the testator. There must be the debt of the one that made the will so that the will can be enforced. The one that made the will is Jesus. The will is enforced. We can cash in. For a testament is enforced after men are dead, since it has no power at all when the testator lives. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. 
God accepted the blood of his son. God accepted the blood of Christ. And God says, I am pleased. I am satisfied. I am so pleased that now man can have my nature. Now the rule of that sin nature has been taken away from the enemy. He doesn't have that power over us. That is why the he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. First epistle of John, chapter 3, verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. What for? To destroy the works of the devil. Take away the keys. And whoever has been born of God. Are you born of God? Whoever has been born of God doesn't sin. Doesn't mean that he doesn't make a mistake. He doesn't live in that habitual place of sin because it's, it's no longer his nature. But what happened? His seed, the seed of God remains in him. And he cannot sin. You're born again spirit. It is impossible. He cannot means you're born again spirit. It is impossible for your born again spirit to sin. Why? Because your born again spirit has the seed of God, has the nature of God, and it is as impossible for your born again spirit to sin as it is for God to sin. If you mess up and you sin, it's not because your spirit sin. It's because you yield it to your flesh. Your flesh or something else did it, but not your born again spirit. He cannot sin. Why? Because he's been born of God. 1 John 5, 18 says, we know that whoever, say whoever, say that's me, is born of God, does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself and the wicked one touches him not. The enemy comes, but in your spirit, there's, I mean, he doesn't, there, there's nothing in there. He cannot find anything in there. Mankind, God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their sins and trespasses against them. So that now here we are, that by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he has done, he has purchased redemption for the entire human race. So that the righteousness which is of God is upon all men, every human being, and the righteousness of God is hovering over him and is available to him. The grace of God is hovering over every human being. The very righteousness right with God as God is right, the authority of the name of Jesus is, is unto all men. However, it only comes upon them that believe. Romans chapter 3 verse 22. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no other way anybody can get it. But they can get it. Why? Jesus has paid for it with his own faith. Jesus has paid for it with his own faith. And it is available to every human being. God is not imputing people's sins and trespasses against them. God was in Christ reconciling them unto himself. But whoever would believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, all that he has done, the righteousness of God becomes theirs. That sin nature cannot rule them anymore. Jesus has paid the price. So God says when the Holy Spirit has come, he's going to convict the world of sin. Sin, why? Because of not believing on the Lord Jesus. That's the only thing to keep, keep people out of heaven. And of righteousness. 
Because Jesus has been resurrected. And he's at the right hand of the Father. And of judgment. Because that sin nature and the devil himself has been judged. The price has been paid. It is so simple. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved and your household. Now I don't know who's listening to me online. I don't know who, where you are. But God knows where you are. And if you ask yourself, do you know Jesus? Are you absolutely sure that if you died, if this was your life, if the next breath is your last breath, you would end up in heaven? If you're not sure about that, then you need to know that if you believe in the Lord Jesus, you're going to be saved. If you are, for some reason, you just, you, you know, I mean, you've been listening. You, you, maybe you go to church and, and, and maybe you, you, you're a nice person and you do good things, but we are not saved by our righteousness and how good we are. We are saved by only one. There is only one way, and that is believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. As many as receive the Son of God, to them God give power to become the children of God. So pray with me right now. Just say this with me. Just to make sure that your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life. Just to make sure that your eternal future is settled. Just to make sure that as of this moment, you can have that sin nature pulled out of you and have the very nature of God. So just say this with me. Say, Father in heaven, I believe Jesus Christ, your son, died for me. And he was raised up from the dead. He did that just for me. He ascended to your right hand. And he did that for me. I ask right now that you would save me. Jesus I receive you and I confess you as my Lord and as my Savior. Now, the Word of God says that when you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So if you've spared that prayer, you are saved. You are now a child of God. You need to get into the Word of God. You need to talk to your Father in prayer. You need to find yourself a, a, a solid Bible-believing church. And certainly, stay hooked up with us here online because God has got so much for you. And all that Jesus has paid for is already yours because of the blood. Amen?